So here we go. If you have your Bible this morning or a device or some way to get to Scripture, please turn to guess where? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It's in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters to the church at Philippi. I want to concentrate really on just one verse of Scripture. It's going to be our catalyst verse for this series, this message series called 4-8. Think on these things. The Bible says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. The Good News Translation put it like this. Paul said, in conclusion, my friends, fill your minds with those things that are good, that deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. This is what we should be thinking about. You know, there is something in you that you cannot escape. There is something in you that is more important, important, uh, that you are attached to than any other thing in your life, than your spouse, than your kids, than your most prized possession, and that is your thoughts. You are attached to your thoughts. You cannot get away from them, amen? And our thoughts are something that God wants us to lay at the altar. Now, you cannot help what comes into your mind, but it is up to you to determine what you will dwell on and what you will what? Think about. Now, I'll tell you what I've been thinking about, how we go through life as uh, the young lady testified this morning and uh, how you could be stressed, and we saw the video this morning of how the enemy can put different things in your life and in your mind because of uh, circumstances and things that happen. But I want to let you know that it is not God's will for you to go through life all stressed out. It's not God's will for you to go through life uncomfortable and frustrated in your mind. The Bible says that he will keep you in perfect peace, those that keep their mind stayed on me, God says. Amen? I mean, the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And we always look at that as he's stealing our stuff. But I want to let you know that everything begins with a thought. And so God, and, and so God doesn't want you to allow the enemy to steal your peace. Because the enemy will put a thought in your mind, just a threat of something that could happen. And then we get all frustrated and fearful just because of the threat of something that could happen. Something bad hadn't even happened yet, but because of the threat, because of what the enemy, the seed that he planted in our mind, we become frustrated and we become fearful. And it is not God's will for you. So you thought yourself into a nervous breakdown. Come on. You thought yourself into a stressful state. You thought yourself into a fearful state. Everything begins with a thought. Everything. 
You didn't get here this morning without thinking about it. Now, it might have been in the back of your mind and you didn't, you don't think that you thought about it, but it was on your mind. You knew it was Sunday morning and you knew it was time to go to church. Everything begins with a thought. Romans 7, Paul said, it is with the mind that we serve the Lord. And so the mind is where the battle is taking place. Look at your neighbor and say, the battle is in the mind. Come on, say, the battle is in the mind. That's where it is. That's the battleground. I want to tell you this morning, do not expend one more ounce of energy wrestling with other people. Come on now, I might have lost you right there. Don't expend one more ounce of energy from today forward wrestling with other people. Because the battle is not against flesh and blood. Come on, somebody. But it's where? It's in the mind. And that's where the powers and principalities battle. They're battling for your mind. You've got to understand that your destiny and your future are not predicated on the decision of someone else. Stop wasting all your time trying to change someone else's mind about you. Because God is not going to bless you based on what other people think about you. You're not going to get to your destiny based on what someone else thinks about you. The blessing of the Lord and your destiny come from what you think about yourself. Come on. What do you think about yourself? Do you think what other people say about you is true? Do you think more highly than you ought about yourself? Or do you think of the, yourself the way that God thinks about you? Well, how does God think about me? I'll tell you what God says about you, to name a few. God says you're an overcomer. God says you're redeemed. He says you're forgiven. You're righteous. God says that you're justified. He says that you're accepted. Guess what? God said that you are a saint. You're a saint. Come on. God said that you're free. He said that you are sealed. You're chosen. And guess what? God said that you are a winner. So what God says about you. Why? Because the battle is his. Now, you might not be excited about that this morning, but when I hear what God says about me, either I'm excited or I don't believe it. Now, how many we have here this morning that don't believe it? All right, if you say you believe it, then you ought to be excited about it. Come on, somebody. Because you've already won. We just got to walk the battle out. What you thought. Come on. Too many people resign themselves to accepting life as it comes. I'm just going to play the hand that was dealt. I'll just play the cards that were dealt to me. I'm just going to roll with the punches, not realizing that the whole time that they are contributing to their destiny. Come on. They're contributing to their own circumstances. And eventually, where you end up is where you thought you would end up. It begins with our thought life. When you keep your thoughts focused on the things of God, those things innately infiltrate your life. You can't help it. A manifestation of God's word will be tangible to you right before your eyes. 
In his book, The 4-8 Principle, author Tommy Newberry said this. He said that mental discipline is the ability to keep your thoughts consistently focused. Our problem is not that we're not able to think or even that we're not able to focus. Our problem is that we are not able to stay focused. I can start a diet. Come on. But can I finish it? I can start a race. I can start going to the gym. I can start reading my Bible. A lot of people can start some things. But who can finish? Come on. Who can stay focused? Golf legend Arnold Palmer recalls a lesson about overconfidence. He said this. I was reading this. He says, it was the final hole of the 1961 Masters Tournament. And I had a one-stroke lead, Arnold said. He had just hit a very satisfying tee shot, 18th hole, come on. And as he approached the ball to finish off his win, he looked over and he saw an old friend standing over at the gallery. His old friend motioned over to him in sort of a way to say, congratulations, you've won the Masters. And in fact, he walked over to his friend before he finished out and shook his hand. But as soon as he did, he knew he had lost his focus. He says, on my next two shots, I hit the ball into a sand trap, put it over the edge of the green, and then missed a putt to lose the Masters. Something I only had to hit in, but three shots I missed. He said, you don't forget a mistake like that. You must learn from it and become determined that you will never do it again. And he says, I haven't lost focus in 30 years now. Hadn't lost focus in 30 years. It's not the ability to be able to focus. It's the ability to continue to focus. The enemy is going to throw all kinds of thoughts in your mind. I thought that this was very interesting. You know, people pride themselves on the ability to multitask. It was one of the things that I loved that I was able to do when I worked in corporate America. I can say that now. It used to be when I used to work corporate America. And uh, I used to pride myself that I could multitask. I could be talking on the phone to this person over here, and I could be on the computer uh, doing some figures and some numbers over here, while all the while I could do a little thing on a calculator right here. But my cell phone was ringing, so I could kind of text, but my other leg won't go. But I could text over here. I can get all that done. And it, and it made me proud that I was able to, to multitask until I came across this. David Rock, he's a co-founder of Neuro Leadership Institute, and he's an author of Your Brain at Work. He says that multitasking actually, now don't shout me down because I didn't say it, but he said it actually reduces our intelligence. Now, this is a man who studies the brain now. It's not just coming from me. He said it literally drops our IQ when we focus on multitasking. Come on, thereby losing focus. He said we make mistakes, we miss subtle cues, we fly off the handle when we shouldn't, we spell things wrong. And he said to make matters worse, distraction feels great. That's what I'm talking about. That's what made me so proud to be able to do that. He said your brain rewards circuit. They light up when you multitask, your reward circuits. Makes you feel good, meaning that you get an emotional high when you're doing a lot at once. 
So it made me think about something. It made me think, yes, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because your actions become your character. Watch your character because your character becomes your destiny. Become habits, habits become character, and character becomes your destiny. It's where you're going. Where did it start? With a thought. Everything begins with a thought. Now, in order to get to where we want to be with thought life, just like going on a trip, as we talked before, if we're going to get to California, we got to know where we're at. I mean, it makes a difference on which way you go if you're going to California, if you're starting in Indianapolis or you're starting in Orlando or you're starting in Singapore. Come on. It makes a difference how you get there. So we've got to know where we are. We've got to understand that since the fall, we have carnal minds. A trained, now listen to this, logical, well-disciplined mind may be an asset to the world. That's your left brain working. But it alone will lead you away from the kingdom of God. A sensitive, caring Loving mind, that's your right-brained mind, will also by itself lead you away from the kingdom of God. Because both mindsets are actually carnal. And the carnal mind is enmity against God. It will not be reformed because it cannot be reformed. You got to know where you're at now. It will not be reformed because it cannot be reformed. Paul said in Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. It simply cannot be reformed. This is why we must strive for the mind of Christ. I'm not trying to get your mind, and I'm going to tell you what, certainly don't try to get my mind. <laughs> you don't want that. No one knows what's going on up in there. But we want the mind of Christ because he has the perfect mind. Since the fall of man in Eden, man's carnal mind drove him further and further from God until finally in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, listen to what he says here. Listen to how God puts this. Why did he destroy the earth with a flood? Listen to what he says. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. He didn't focus on the evil deeds that man did. But he said every intent of the thoughts of his heart. Because he knows actions are birthed in thoughts. Come on. And habits are birthed in action. And character is birthed in habits. And destiny is birthed in character. Thereby, destiny is birthed in thoughts. I'm going to say that again. Destiny is birthed in, come on somebody, thoughts. Everything begins with a thought. God wants his children to have his thoughts and his priorities. A person's thoughts 
establishes their true identity and it makes them what they really are. Do you want to be God-like? Then you've got to have God thoughts. It's got to start there. It's got to start there. We know Proverbs 23, 7, whereas he thinks in his heart, what? So is he. So is he. Our self-image is essentially who we really are because we almost always act consistently with the internal image that we have of ourselves. It is impossible to think like a mouse and act like a lion. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Your self-image feeds your actions, which become repetitive. Now listen, I'm not giving you some new age, uh, you know, thinking process. We're talking about the scripture. The Holy Spirit through Paul told us what to think about. Come on, and Solomon told us as a man thinks in his heart, that's the way he is. Come on. So we've got to change our thought process. Without that, nothing changes. Our thought life determines our makeup. I was talking to my brother last week or a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about a quote from Henry Ford. And Henry Ford said this. He said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Come on, you think you can? You're right. You think you can't? You're right. What do you think? You see, a person's words can fool us because we don't always know the thoughts and motives behind those words. A person's actions can fool us because we don't know the thoughts and motives behind those actions. So it's really not our words or our actions that determine our goodness, but the thoughts and motives behind them. Come on. It's our thoughts. Jesus encountered such hypocrisy among the Jews. He said in Matthew 15, this people draws nigh to me with their lips. In other words, you talk a good game. They honor me with their mouth. I hear some of the words that are coming out. It kind of sounds good. But your heart, your thoughts, your heart is far from me. Our thought life makes us who we really are. You think defeated thoughts, you will be defeated. You think overcoming thoughts, you will overcome. You think carnal thoughts, you will be carnal. If you think about grace, the grace that God has shown to you, you will give more grace to others. It begins with our thoughts. Keeping scriptural thoughts like grace and God's overcoming power, his unconditional love for you in your mind, and thinking about them throughout the day and night is called meditation. Another verse of Scripture says meditate on these things. So it's more than just something coming into your mind and passing through. When he said think on these things, he meant meditate on these things. Really think about it. Don't just let it be a thought. You know Joshua 1.8. It tells us that meditating on God's word is a formula for a good life and for prosperity and for good success. And that just doesn't mean money. It includes it. But success is being godly. Come on. When, when you think of success only in terms of money, you're missing it. Uh, but you must understand you're limiting yourself. <laughs> 
because God has so much more. That's just the beginning. It's a means to an end to where God wants to get you. But it begins with meditation. When God speaks of success and the abundant life, listen, he is speaking of the total being. He's talking about relationships, finance, peace for self, and being a peacemaker. He's talking about authority, strength to overcome, discernment, wisdom, your whole being. God wants to make you successful, and guess what? It begins with a what? Begins with a thought. He wants us to meditate. When life treats you cruelly or unfairly, don't meditate on the cruelty or the unfairness you just experienced. Meditate on God's word. David gave us that example. Psalm 119.78, he said, For they dealt perversely with me, David says, without a cause, by the way, but I will meditate on thy precepts. Why? Because he took no satisfaction in revenge unless God told him to do it. But his satisfaction came from the precepts of God. Meditating on God's word is how we retrain our mind, how we get that mind of Christ. Come on. I want you to know that there is a war taking place within your mind. Don't sit back and let it happen. You won't win that way. There is a war taking place. You are being sent a barrage of thoughts daily. Come on. Some of those thoughts are carnal thoughts. Some of those thoughts are godly thoughts. But it is we who choose which thoughts we meditate on. I can't help which thoughts might come to mind. I might see someone dressed a certain way and a thought comes. Come on. Or I might be walking and say hi to someone. They don't speak back and a thought comes. But what do I meditate on? That's what God is concerned about. See, the overcomer will put on and keep on the mind of Christ and choose to meditate only on the thoughts of the Father. So by now, you should understand that your thoughts are important. It matters what you think. Because I know a lot of us may be talking to someone and we'll tell them certain things and we'll act a certain way in a situation, while all the while something totally different is going on in our mind. I want you to know that your thoughts are important <laughs> to this war. Ephesians six twelve: we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wicked, wickedness in high places. That's where we should be wrestling. Instead, we wrestle against people. Come on. What are these wicked spirits, these principalities? Come on. And rulers, what are they trying to do? They're trying to rule over you and control you. But we are to wrestle. We're in a fight. We're in a war. You might be a passive person. I'm Switzerland. I just want to sit on the side. But the enemy has called you into this fight. Just like Pearl Harbor. Now you got to do something. Come on. You're going to sit around and take a beating the rest of your life? You might be going to heaven, but God is not, uh, his will for you is not to be beat down the rest of your life. You're an overcomer. Start acting like it. Start thinking like it. You're the head and not the tail. God said that. I didn't. Doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen, but it just means you are able to overcome your circumstances. Come on. You're able to overcome them. This wrestling match takes place in our mind. 
We must wrestle against those thoughts and imaginings that come to us daily so that they will not become a stronghold in our mind. We know this is a great, gigantic task, impossible to accomplish in the strength of our own flesh. But God has given us a winning strategy. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, come on somebody, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every, 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 every thought into the captivity of Christ. That's our job. It must fall up under the obedience of Christ, everything that comes into our mind. You want to be successful? You want to live an abundant life? You want to be an overcomer? Let every thought, every thought that comes in your mind fall up under the obedience of Christ. And you can't help it because God can't be anything but successful. God doesn't live in anything but abundance. Come on. God is nothing but an overcomer. If God played golf, he'd get an 18. Because he can't miss. Come on, somebody. Bring your thoughts under the obedience of Christ. You see, in this war, we have two enemies. We have outward enemies and we have inward enemies. Now watch this now. Watch. Jesus commands us in Matthew 5, 44. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That doesn't sound like what the world would do. We are told to love our enemies. That's the outward enemies. They appear to us as people. Come on now. Watch me now. But we are not to wrestle with people. We are to love them. What the Bible just said. Your outward enemies might come to you as people who say certain things to you, come on, or treat you a certain way. But the Bible says, it didn't say to wrestle against the people, it said to love them. It said to pray for them, come on. Bless them, do good to them, pray for them. Oh, but our inward enemy, you just want to fight, don't you? Well, you got an opportunity because you got some inward enemies now. You can fight. Now you can get in the ring. The enemies that we must wrestle against and overcome and destroy are all within us. Come on. You don't have to go looking somewhere else for an enemy. It's all, come on, the enemy is right in here trying to tell you things. Those thoughts that cry for vengeance and satisfaction and getting even, those are our real enemies. And the true overcomers, the matured sons and daughters of God, they will defeat their inward enemies while they love their outward enemies. Come on, I want to walk and defeat my inward enemies while I'm loving. That's, they're, they're, how in the world can he love his enemies? That's because my inward enemies are defeated. Come on. That's because it doesn't matter what you, I know my destiny is not wrapped up in what you're saying about me. Now, if you're a little insecure, then the outward enemies you'll be wrestling against. People will say stuff about you, you begin to believe it, and it'll take seed in your mind. Come on. But the kingdom way is much like give and receive. It doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. That's why we must have the mind of Christ. 
God thoughts will be our thoughts because we must have the mind of Christ. We get a clear picture of the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 said this, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Whose mind should be like-minded? Our mind should. Whose mind should it be like-minded too? The mind of Christ. Now here is the mind of Christ clearly spelled out for all of us here. In verse 3, let nothing be done through strife, intrigue, or contention, or vainglory. That means conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Our lowliness of mind is not what the world teaches. <laughs> Considering others better than yourselves is not what the world teaches, but it's what God teaches. Come on. Let God, God will, God will promote you. God will raise you up. Verse 4 and 5, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others care for one another. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Here it is, the mind of Christ, and we must let this mind be in us. We cannot manifest Jesus in this world if we think with any other mindset other than the mind of Christ. We can't reason it in our mind. Come on. We can't science it in our mind. We can't research it in our mind. We must get to our knees and allow the Spirit of God to put the mind of Christ in us. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed through the renewing of your what? That renovation of your what? Come on. That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, how are we to get here? How can we get there? How can we allow the mind of Christ in us? Because I think godly thoughts over here, but it seems like over here, these other thoughts come in, and I find myself dwelling on these thoughts, but then I realize I'm doing it, so I go back over here, and it seems like I'm just going back and forth. How do I do this? I was watching this TV program the other day. With Actually, my wife was watching it, and I came in the room, and I began to watch it with her, and she likes these programs on uh, HDTV where they do the flip or flop and flip houses, and they go in and do those types of things. And she was watching this program uh, with, where this husband and wife, uh, they go in and they buy houses, and then they, uh, you know, do different things. They renovate it, make it look pretty, and then they, uh, and then they sell them. And it was just amazing to me because, you know, they might buy a two-bedroom house with a basement for $400,000, which is crazy. Obviously, that's not in Indiana. Uh, but then, and then they would do some stuff to it, and all the other houses in the neighborhood are selling for $600,000. So they put some money into it and, and sell it for $650,000 and make $100,000 on it. And I said, how in the world are they doing this? What's going on with this? And I began to notice what they would do is they would go in, they would have to renovate in order to make it look pretty. They just can't go in and say, okay, here's the house. Let's put some paint on it. Let's throw down some more grass seed and then, uh, you know, put some flowers, maybe put a tree and make it look good. You can't do that because you're just covering up dirt. You know, you're covering up nastiness. You know what they had to do? They had to go in and tear out the old. <laughs> Come on, they had to rip down some walls. They had to break out some countertops. They had to go in the backyard and dig up some old weeds and get all that stuff out of the way before they could even bring anything that looked nice into the situation. They had to tear out the old. And so with us, some of us, especially us who have been on this earth for quite a few years, we got some things in there we need to tear out. 
We got some stuff in our mind that's just deep-seated. Come on. And somebody just preaching a word to you ain't going to get it out. It's been in there too long for just to hear some word from you. Come on. I don't know about you. I know how I am. I mean, I don't care who could be Billy Graham, Bishop Jakes, but, I, you know, I, it's been too long. Stuff in there. You got to tear out the old. You got to renovate. What's the problem with tearing out the old? That's right. You got to get to the root. What's the problem with it? Tearing out the old is always uncomfortable. That's why we don't want to do it. I've known this for 30 years, and you're telling me to think about it differently? That God may not have thought this way? Maybe that was tradition that I've been thinking for 30 years? Tearing out the old requires an openness to change traditional thinking. Now, here's where our problem is. Some of us just aren't open to changing some traditional thinking. Come on, I'm trying to step on no toes. My toes out there too. Come on. Tearing out the old requires a conscious effort uh, to reevaluate what we know. In other words, you just can't get them to say, oh, I'll just think differently today. No, you got to really think about it. Why? I got to ask questions who, what, when, where, why? I got to get down in it. Tearing out the old, re again, requires a willingness to admit that some, you, some of what you know just could be. Could be, I don't possibly, you might be wrong about some things. Not much. You're right about most of it, but there could be one or two things in there that you could possibly, maybe, possibly, maybe, be wrong about. In overcoming the old way of thinking, we begin to experience the abundant life because now we're empty. We sing, empty me, empty me, that you can fill me up, Lord. But we're not emptying ourselves. It takes some effort from us. We can't just go to God and say, God, just empty it. No, you got to think about what's in there. You empty it out. God's saying, you come to me empty, and I'll fill you up. Tear all that stuff out. I don't want all that. We need to have the mind of Christ. Why? Because the mind of Christ is a perfect wound that is fully able to receive and conceive the word of God, the seed of the word of God when it gets in there. You know, in the parable of the sower, some seeds brought 30-fold, some 60, some 100, and it was all the exact same seed. Why did some bring 30, 60, and 100? The only difference was the soil. The only difference was the soil. Some soil was too rocky. Some had too many weeds. Some too many thorns. Some too shallow. Where's your mind today? Too many weeds? What you've been watching and thinking about putting in there? Is it too shallow? Do you just not think about anything? Come on. You ought to take a few minutes every day and contemplate some things. Too many thorns in there. You've been, you've been offended so many times in your life. You've been disappointed. So now you got a wall in there. But other seed fell into good ground. That's you. That's you. Good ground. Come on. And brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. The soil where the seed is planted is our mind. Sometimes I pray, Lord, till the ground of my heart. Till the ground of my mind. 
And he says, yeah, you till the ground of your mind. I say, okay, Lord, I'll till it. Wipe out some of that old stuff that when your word comes in, it'll germinate. Come on. It'll take root. Words are seeds, and words are nothing more than expressed thought. And I want the expressed thought of God to germinate in my own mind. We need good imaginings and not vain imaginings. Every imagination we cultivate, nourish, and water in our mind will grow, and it will bring forth fruit, whether good or evil. Come on. It'll bring forth fruit. Thoughts are images, and the mind is a chamber of imagery. The Lord sees it that way. And listen, I want to tell you this. Improper thoughts should always be rejected. But I don't want you to feel condemned because, listen, a thought which is not conceived, no matter how wicked it is, is not sin. I'll say that again. A thought that is not conceived, no matter how wicked it is. In other words, the enemy's going to throw some stuff at you. But if that thought is not conceived, if you don't allow it to get in there and take root to germinate, then it's not sin. Lust that is not conceived is not sin. Because James 1.15 says, then when lust, he didn't say when lust comes into your mind. It says when lust has conceived, come on. When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. When you receive a sinful thought, you make the decision whether to conceive it or not. Come on, I'm talking to you this morning. Many people get condemned simply because they are a bad thought came into their mind. Some sinful thought came into their mind. But these thoughts are mere temptation and are not sin in themselves. Jesus was tempted, but he never allowed a sinful thought to conceive in his mind by dwelling on it or meditating on it. When a negative thought comes to you, it is tempting to dwell on it. But by rejecting it, you overcome it. That's how you overcome it. The thought may even return, but you endure. James put it this way, blessed is a man that endures temptation. You're blessed. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Come on. God tells his people, clean up your thought life. Clean it up. Jeremiah 4.14, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? Your thought life is so important because it governs every other facet of your life. That is why we should live our life having God thoughts. This being done, we can have one mind with God. We can function in the mind of Christ and start on our journey of complete transformation. Peter put it this way. He said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't just pull up your bootstraps and get into battle. First, think about it. Jesus said, no one, no man builds a house unless he first counts the cost. Think about it. You want to change your future? Think about it. Look at somebody and say, think about it. We can function in the mind of Christ and start on this journey. Exercise thought control. Let the last thoughts which go through your mind each night be thoughts about the Word of God, about what God says about you, not what your friends say about you. 
So what do we do? Well, we'll talk about it over these next few weeks. Paul gave us a hint in Philippians chapter 4. If I'm to get all of these carnal thoughts out of my mind, then what should I think about? Paul tells us. He gives us nine things to think about, and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks. But it must start with the renovation. You must first be willing. If we're going to go forward with this series, you've got to be willing to admit that maybe, possibly, some of the things that are in my mind are not right. Come on. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to say, Lord, what's in there that's not right? Because I only want God thoughts. And I don't know about you. Maybe you don't want to change your destiny. Maybe you're cool with the way you're going and you're satisfied with where you are. But I can tell you what, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't get up off the couch, if you don't think about it, you're going to find yourself in a place tomorrow, next month, next year that you never thought you would be. But actually you did think you would be. Because <laughs> you failed to think about it. Come on. 